You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. I've entitled our message this morning. If you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 6, I've entitled our message this morning, Healthy Structure Promotes Healthy Growth. Healthy structure promotes healthy growth. We've been looking at the history of the church. We've been looking at the, the very first church, the very first body of believers in the, in the first century. And we, we started in Acts chapter 1 looking at that, um, that great movement of, uh, of, of Pentecost in, in Acts chapter 1, the calling of the apostles, sending them out, and then Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church. And this morning, I want us to look at Acts chapter 6. And, um, and see what we can learn from this incredible structure that the apostles put in place in the church. Follow along with me if you have your Bible, if you have your copy of God's Word, you can follow along on the screen. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, the church is continuing to grow. Every time we come back to this, we see that just growth happens over and over and over. The, this church is just is exploding in numerical growth in new believers. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews. And I'll come back, we'll unpack this here in just a moment. That their widows, the Hellenistic Jew widows, were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Verse 2, the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, the disciples, now, now this is an interesting little fact, little tidbit, is this the first time that there is a name to the believers? Uh, this, you know, we talked last week that this is a new group of people. You would have multiple different kinds of Jews, but now we have a name of these followers of Jesus Christ. They're called the disciples. This isn't just the 12 apostles. This is everyone who is now a follower of Christ. Luke gives a name to this group of people as disciples. And so it says this, the 12, that's the apostles, summoned the whole company of disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the Word of God to wait on tables. Now, I'm going to expound on that here in just a moment, so don't make a too quick of a judgment there. It would not be right for us to give up preaching the Word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty, to the duty of uh, taking care of the widows. Verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole company. In other words, the whole body of believers. So they chose Stephen a man full of faith and Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Pumbaa. Just kidding, it's not in there. But I can't, as I was studying this seriously, I can't say Timon without Pumbaa. So Pumbaa wasn't one of them. All right, just come on, let's get back to text. Timon, Parmenius, 
and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. Verse 6, they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. And look at verse 7, here's the results. So the word of God spread, the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. Not that they just increased, but it says they increased greatly in number. And a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Father, I pray that you would teach us this morning from your holy word, from your powerful word. God, would you do what only you can do by the power of the Holy Spirit? God, help us to help us to shape our life to the truths of Scripture. God, change us, mold us, help us to be, help us to know first where maybe we're not being obedient to you and then help us to walk in that obedience knowing that that is the best path for us that is the place where where we can experience uh, your blessings that is the place where we can experience the fruit that you've called us to to bear father i pray that you would do this in your holy precious name amen amen listen i am thankful uh, where we're at as a church. I am thankful for what God is doing among the members and the attenders of this church, being engaged and volunteering in the amount of numbers that we have. But listen, we cannot, as a church, grow complacent. The moment we grow complacent is the moment we will begin to, uh, we'll begin to dry up and possibly even die. And we think of that, we hear a statement like that, and we go, no, it won't ever. No, the reality is, is it, it can and it will if we grow complacent. Listen, there are churches every single day of the year that are closing their door. Thousands of churches every single, not thousands every day, but thousands a month closing their doors because they've grown complacent. Because they have missed doing what God has called the church to do. Listen, we cannot grow complacent. Uh, Mr. and Miss somebody else is not allowed to be a member of this church. You know Mr. and Miss somebody else? Have you ever heard of Mr. and Miss somebody else? Have you ever met Mr. and Miss somebody? I've never met them. I've heard about them, but I've never met them. Mr. and Miss somebody else is when this, when we see a need in the church, we go, well, somebody else can do it. Listen, Mr. and Miss somebody else cannot become a member of this church. We cannot grow complacent. Listen, the mission God has for this church and the mission that God has for your family is under attack. We must know that. The mission that God has for this church and for your family is under attack. It was true in the first century at the birth of the church, and it is still true today. We've looked at it over the last couple of weeks. If, if, if Satan can't destroy the church through corruption, as we saw in the story of Ananias in, in, in uh, Acts chapter 5, verses 9 through, through 12, I believe, verses 1 through 12, if he doesn't do it through corruption, if he can't do it through corruption, which he didn't win in that, in that case, if Satan can't do it through persecution, as we've seen multiple times already in this young uh, church through the, the high priest throwing uh, the apostles in jail. If he can't do it through corruption, he can't do it through persecution, then here's his next tactic, is he'll do it through distraction. Satan will try and attempt every way that he can to destroy the church and destroy your family. Listen, I can't express this enough. There are two entities that God ordained. 
From the very beginning, he ordained the church and he ordained the family. Those two things, those two entities, the church and the family, express the relationship between Jesus Christ and God the Father. That's the earthly expression. And Satan wants to destroy those two things. And if he can't do it through corruption, if he can't do it through persecution, he will do it through distraction. Maybe you've heard this statement before. It's been said this, that if Satan can't make you bad, he will make you busy. If Satan can't make you bad, he will make you busy. Write this statement down. Busyness, or I'm sorry, yes, busyness, doing good things will rob us of the blessing of doing great things. Let me say that again. Busyness, doing good things, will rob us of the blessings of doing great things. So let's look at this, this um, healthy structure that promoted healthy growth. Chapter 6, verse 1, it says this, In those days, this is the the early days of the church, the disciples were increasing in number and there arose a complaint. Remember, we've had the, uh, uh, we've had the corruption and we've had the persecution and none of those worked. And so here's a complaint that's happening from within the body of believers. Uh, and it is the, the murmuring, the complaining is starting to reverberate throughout the church. Listen, when Satan does not succeed in stopping the church with a frontal assault, he attacks it from within. And this usually happens very subtly. An invitation not sent, a job goes unnoticed, a critical comment uh, is overheard, a, a jealousy uh, over one person Uh, getting accolades over another person. Listen, when the complaints begin, the devil smiles. When complaints begin, the devil smiles. Not saying that there should never be complaints, as we will see here in the text. This is a legitimate need. There is a legitimate issue that is taking place. But Satan knows that when the murmuring starts, when the complaining starts, when the reverberation of of discontinuity starts, he knows that he can get a foothold. And when Satan gets a foothold, he can destroy. So look at it. Verse 1, it says, There rose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews. These are are Greek-speaking Jews, those that had moved out some years, some even generations away from Jerusalem, and now they have come back. They either came back because of Pentecost and and came to faith in Jesus Christ, and now they're residing there in Jerusalem, but they're they're Jews. They are now Christian Jews, but they are Greek-speaking. They are are what what the the Jewish people, the the people there in, in Jerusalem would say they're they're foreigners. They're outsiders. They're, yes, they're, they're, they're like us, but they have a different language. They're separate from us. And so this complaint began to, uh, uh, began to ver- reverberate through the church by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews. That would be the hometown boys and girls. That would be the ones that have grown up there in Jerusalem generation after generation after generation. And the complaint is this, is that the widows of the Hebraic Jews, the, uh, the Aramaic-speaking Jews, the widow, their widows are getting taken care of. 
But it's these Greek-speaking Jews, these that have, they've been gone for years and now they have moved back. And, but, but they're not just part of the community, the, uh, of the Jewish community. They are, they're now part of the, the disciples, the believers in Christ. And now we're, we're part family. And they're saying that, that, the, uh, that their widows are being forgotten. They're being overlooked. That's the complaint. Listen, this is a legitimate need. The early church had a ministry of taking care of the needs of the widows, not just food, but, but financially, and just supporting them in every way that they could. This, this ministry required collecting resources and then, and then distributing those resources. It was very timely as they would go from house to house and, and collect resources, and then they would go and find the widows who were in need and then, and then distribute that. It was very timely. It was, took a lot of resources to do that. And the complaint was that these Hellenistic Jew widows who were outsiders, were, were being overlooked. They were being neglected. And the question that we don't know because Scripture doesn't tell us exactly is, is was this intentional? Was there an intentional um, disregard for the outsiders, which would have been very normal in the culture? And sometimes, isn't it, isn't it, easy for us as a church inside the church to allow the culture to kind of kind of seep in the the cultural ways the worldly ways to seep into the church and so there's a question is could this have been taking uh was this was this intentional I, I, it's possible but 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 just in in looking at the first 6 chapters of acts i think it's more probable that it wasn't intentional it was simply an issue of growth pains, of growing pains. Acts 2 tells us that 3,000 people came to faith in one day, and every day they added to their number. Acts chapter 4 says that 2,000 people came to faith in Christ in one day, and they added to their number every single day. There are some scholars that say that the, that the population, the, the membership, if you will, of this new group of Christians, these, this, these Christians, the disciples, is in the tens of thousands of believers. And so, intentionality maybe possibly but i honestly think i think it's just a it is growing pains uh, within within this new body of believers uh, could have been intentional but more than likely it's growing pains acts chapter 4 verse 32 look we're just a few in acts chapter 6 we're just a couple of years removed from acts chapter 4 verse 32 notice what it says just turn to turn back there if you brought your bible just turn back there and look so the church is, is I mean, roughly 5,000 members, probably a little bit more than that, but we know for sure at least 5,000. And, and Acts tells us that all the believers were of one heart and one mind. And then in verse 34, it says, there was not a needy person among them. We're just a couple of years rem- removed. You fast forward to Acts chapter 6. And these two statements are no longer true. There is a need among them. And now they are saying, but the, the Hebraic Jews are blaming the, uh, uh, the Greek-speaking Jews. And the Greek-speaking Jews are blaming the Hebraic Jews. And there, there's a, there is, they're not of one mind. They're not of one accord. Listen, if we don't, we don't see that this is possible, Oh, we will miss the opportunity 
that the apostles had to put in place healthy structures, healthy systems to help the church just organically grow, which is what we see. Listen, this is a legitimate complaint, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. the apostles understand what James understood. In James chapter 1, verse 27, write that down in the margin of your Bible here. Follow along with me on the screen. It says this, pure and undefiled religion is this. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Apostles know that this is true religion. This is a gospel issue. And so what do they do? Here's what we see, starting in verse 2. We have this wise instruction in a fragile structure. The church is still very fragile. Even though we know, even though we know the promise of Jesus Christ that says that, that nothing will destroy the church, that Satan cannot overcome the church, even though we know that, the church is still very fragile in the state that it is in right now. So we get this wise instruction from the apostles. Look at verse 2. The twelve summoned the whole company, all of the believers, all of those that would have been there in Jerusalem. No doubt some of them have dispersed into the into the countryside, but they, they, just, they grab everybody that they can and they say this, it would not be right. Another, another literally saying, it would not be proper for us to give up, to neglect the preaching, the word of God to wait on tables. Now, that sounds kind of crass. It sounds like maybe the apostles are unwilling to get their hands dirty. But that's not it at all. If, if we don't read this carefully, it sounds like the apostles think they are too good to serve. That's not it. Apparently, when you read this statement by the apostles, it would not be right, it wouldn't be proper for us to neglect the preaching of the Word of God to wait on tables. Apparently, it was a suggestion. Somewhere in the complaints, the suggestion was, why don't the apostles take care of this? Now, why don't they know that this is true and undefiled religion before God? That they take care of the widows. Why don't they see this need? Why aren't they helping us with this need? They should be the ones that are helping here. And it says this, it wouldn't be right, the apostles say. It wouldn't be proper for us to do this. Listen, no one, no one wants others to think that they see themselves above common work. No, no, one, no one wants to think that they're above, or that no one wants to think others would see them as being above doing a, a menial task, although what the complaint is is not a menial task. But no one wants to be seen that way. You could be, uh, so, someone could say to you statements like this, you're, you're, you're not willing to wait on tables? Well, are you better than, than Jesus? He washed your feet. And you will not even set a plate before a, an elderly woman? Didn't Jesus say that the greatest among you will be your servant? All of those true statements? Listen, it is to the apostles' credit that they resisted whatever pressure came upon them to do what was being asked of them. And so they give this wise counsel. Listen to what they say, verse 3. Brothers and sisters, 
Notice they don't say, you Hellenistic Jews that are complaining. They don't call anybody out. They don't say, you Hebraic Jews that you've been here all along. You should just bring this new group. I mean, don't you recognize this is a gospel uh, issued? I mean, they, they don't, they don't, they're not complaining about those who aren't doing the work. It says, brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men, notice this, of good reputation. There's three qualifications. Seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit, and you could follow that, full of wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty, who we can appoint to this task, who we can appoint to this service ministry. Not just wiping down a table, not just taking out the trash, but the important ministry, the important duty of collecting and going and encouraging people to give the resources, collecting the resources, and distributing the resources. He gives these three qualifications, good reputation, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. Listen, these are attributes that every Christian should strive to attain. This isn't, uh, this isn't some, it would be a mistake for us to think that the apostles are saying, I want you to go among the, the believers and I want you to pick out the super saints. That would be a mistake. He's saying, I want you to go among all of the believers and I want you to find seven men who are dependent on God. And when you find seven men who are dependent on God, you will find somebody who is of good reputation. You'll find someone who's full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. Oh, the great preacher G. Campbell Morgan, listen to the statement that he makes about these qualifications. He says this, A man full of the Spirit is one who is living a normal Christian life. Fullness of the Spirit is not a state of spiritual aristocracy to which few can attain. Anything less than fullness of the Spirit for the Christian man is disease of the spiritual life, a low ebb of vitality. Fullness of the Spirit is not abnormal, but normal Christian life. G. Campbell Morgan would be saying this, like, among the thousands, listen, you ought to be able to find seven easily and apparently we see just right on the hills no time we don't have any time markers in the text just right on the hills they find seven but notice the wisdom here's what he says you go find seven who can take care of this very important task we know that this is a gospel issue you find seven and here's what we're going to do we will devote ourselves we will be we will focus all of our energy on prayer and to the ministry of the word. Let these men oversee and do the ministry of widow care and allow us, free us up to oversee and do the ministry of prayer and preaching. That's what he's saying here. Let, let Find seven who can oversee, but not just oversee and tell somebody else to do it. Oversee and do the work of widow care. And free us up to do and oversee the ministry of prayer and preaching. Listen, how did the apostles make that wise counsel? They knew their purpose. They knew their calling. They knew their priorities was to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And they knew that if they were to take this on, and listen, we, we have the propensity to see a need. Many Christians, the majority of people in the church, have 
the gift of grace, who have the gift of helps. Majority, if we was to, and we've done several of our church members, we've had you take spiritual gifts tests. The, mirror, the majority is the spiritual gift of helps of service we have the propensity just in sheer numbers to just take something else on to see a need and to take it on and it was wise counsel that the apostles said no listen if we take this on we are reducing the amount of energy the amount of mind focus the amount of time that we can devote to prayer and the preaching of the word listen this just wasn't something that they came up on their own. This was a Holy Spirit-driven moment. This example, this is the example we see in 1 Samuel. Write this down in the margin of your Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. Listen now how 1 Samuel says it. As for me, I vow that I will not sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Samuel says this, it is a sin against the Lord for me to be your leader and not pray, again, not pray for you. And so he's making this vow. I will not sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. He says, I will teach you the good and right way. No doubt the apostles knew that text. They knew the importance of praying for those that they lead and the ministry of handling God's word correctly. It's not only the example of Samuel, it's also the example of Jesus. Look in Mark chapter 1, verse 35 through 39 says this about Jesus, verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, he went out, and he made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Oh, listen, if Jesus saw the need to pray, shouldn't we? Leaders, self, before anything else gets done, I don't want to get legalistic about it, but listen, if Jesus saw the need the first thing in the morning to spend time in prayer, so should we. So he was there praying. Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. Listen, before Jesus preached the word, he prayed God the Father. Oh, it it was a... is an example set by Jesus, but not just an example set forth by Samuel, not just by Jesus, but also by the Apostle Paul. Write this down, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Listen to the, listen to the commitment of the Apostle Paul. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. This is Paul and Timothy and And a few others, they are praying for the people that they are leading. We haven't stopped praying for you. And we are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. How does that happen? Does that just, just, you know, like fall upon them? No, by the preaching of the word of God, by the studying of the word of God. Verse 10, so that, why do you need to be filled with the knowledge of his will and understanding? So that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and grow in the knowledge of God. So we have this example that the apostles are following. They're saying, man, we've seen this in the Old Testament prophets. We saw this in Jesus Christ. And then the apostle Paul, who was one of the 12, follows those examples and does the same thing as he is birthing other other churches in other cities. Listen, by divine delegation, The apostles not only freed themselves up, 
Listen, they freed others to grow in their knowledge of God, to grow in their trust of God, and to grow in their service of God. And by freeing others to do that, it freed them to spend time in prayer and the ministry of the Word. And listen, here's, this is the good part. Verse 7. Oh, it's, this is the results. And in, by doing that, by, by setting this structure in place, by, by freeing others to trust God, to know God, and to, and to grow in their service and love for Him, and by freeing themselves up to prayer, we will see what happens to the church. It doesn't just grow numerically. It grows by multiplication. It doesn't grow by addition. It grows by multiplication. Look at verse 7. Here's the blessing of the wise decision. Here's the blessing of having a whole healthy structure, and we see how it promoted growth within the church. Look at verse 7. Here's, there's three results. Verse 7, first part. So the word of God spread. Isn't that we want as a church? Isn't that we want the word of God to spread all throughout our community, all throughout your places of work, all throughout your families? Isn't that our desire? Oh, I pray that it is. And it wasn't just spread by the apostles. It was just spread by, by all the believers. So the word of God spread. Number two, the disciples, the believers in Jerusalem, it says this, increased. Literally, it multiplied to the greatest number that they were aware of. It multiplied greatly in number. So the believers, by, by setting these seven free, and you say, what does that have anything to do with taking care of the widows? Listen, it was a healthy structure that freed those seven to trust in God, to love God, to serve God, freed the apostles to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And we see these incredible results. People came to faith. But listen, not just any people. The number, the third, re, the third result is my favorite. Look at this. And a large group of priests. Who are the priests? It's the former Sadducees and Pharisees who put Jesus Christ on the cross. It's those that make up the high court. It is those, and it says, a large number of these men and women became obedient to the faith. Men who were, who were formerly against Christianity, like the Apostle Paul. He's not coming to faith just yet. We'll see that in a couple of chapters. But men who were putting Christians to death, who were putting people in jail for proclaiming their faith, now they are hearing the gospel as the gospel is being spread, and they're coming to faith in Jesus Christ. That is good stuff. Amen? Isn't that what we want? Listen, is there anybody in your family that you're praying for would come to faith in Jesus Christ? Is there anybody that you work with, that you go to school with, that, you would, that you're praying for would come to faith in Jesus Christ? Oh, may the gospel be spread through us as a church. May, may, may I be freed up to do the, the prayer and the ministry of the word that God has called me to do. And may church members be, be able to experience what God has called you through your spiritual gifts to do for the benefit of the church. That's what we see here. Healthy structure promotes healthy growth. And listen, it all started. Watch this. It all started with a complaint, right? It started with a complaint that could have, could have gone off the rails, right? But it doesn't. 
What do the apostles do? The apostles bring them back to the importance of scriptures. Listen, God blesses the church. Write this down. God blesses the church when they face problems honestly and solve them biblically. God blesses the church when they face problems honestly and solve them biblically. They, listen, the apostles didn't just hear the grumbling and go, oh, it'll go away. They didn't just sweep it under the rug. I'm telling you, I was several years ago, several years ago, as a part of a church who, who did some things that were very ungodly. And here was their final assessment after they went through the process. Their final assessment was this. What we did and how we did it wasn't right, but the end result was right. I'm telling you, that's wrong. That's wrong. That church has never made it out of about 45 or 50 people in attendance since that statement. And they are living in the middle. They are, their, their church is in a community that is just exploding in growth. Listen, you can't sweep it under the rug. You can't ignore it. Ignore it. We must deal with it honestly when they come up. And we must treat it biblically. We must solve it biblically. Listen, I believe that God will do the same thing for families as we see Him doing in the church. As we see that, man, there's, there's just struggle in our marriage or there's struggle with our children or there's just struggle with... Listen, if we will deal with it honestly and solve it biblically, I believe we will see blessings in our church and I believe we will see blessings in our families when we do that. Let me give you one last thing. One last little instruction. Problems do not have to derail you. Remember that. Problems do not have to derail you. What Satan attempted to use to harm the church, God used for His good and for His glory. From this complaint, what happened? Focus on the Word and the focus on prayer and the needs of the people were all met. And that is a blessing. Amen? Amen. Listen, I... I want to ask you, have you, been, have you been distracted by problems? Have you been discouraged by problems? Listen, problems don't have to derail you. They're going to come, right? It shouldn't be that we're shocked that problems come, but they, they come, and oftentimes we are kind of set back on our heels when they come, but they don't have to derail us. May we deal with whatever problems come our way, and we know that they're going to come from time to time. May we deal with them honestly and biblically. And I believe God will bless. He will get the honor and He will get the glory when we do that. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.